Okay, hello and welcome. We are doing the first demo today for the Daily Fantasy MLB podcast. And with good labor news overnight, it looks like we will, in fact, have a season going on this year. And today, I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what we're going to be doing here. And we're going to get into a couple of names that I'm looking to draft this year. So we're going to be doing a Monday through Friday podcast, maybe with the odd other show on the weekend, depending on if there's important games going on. Uh, trade deadline and as we lead up into the season we might have a couple of extra shows just in terms of helping you guys get ready for your drafts today i'm just going to be talking a little bit about players at each position that interest me not necessarily the best player at each position but someone who's maybe slipping a little bit in drafts so at first base there's actually a couple names that i'm going to give you here off the bat it's going to be ryan mountcastle and cj crone both going in the 110-120 range on average in drafts this year. And especially Crone playing in Colorado, you know he's going to put up power numbers. You know that he's going to produce probably 25 home runs, 75-80 RBIs, similar amount of runs scored, and he's not coming off the board till about 130. So he's a fairly safe bet. Well, Mountcastle's coming off a fantastic rookie year, and he's eligible also in left field. So he can give you that outfield depth as well as being a solid everyday first baseman. And he had a year that was worthy of being rookie of the year last year. He was fantastic. He was someone who didn't really get enough attention, I don't think, because he played for Baltimore. and Baltimore is just horrendous, but he was fantastic. He had a great year. 33 home runs, he knocked at 89. Now, he did not have the greatest of batting averages at 255, but it's not something that in the long run is going to kill you, someone batting 255. There's just so much upside and such a young age. I know the lineup is bad around him, but he is so talented that I don't think it really matters. I mean, it didn't really matter last year. He still went for 33 and almost 90 RBIs. I feel like he could definitely replicate that this year. No problem. Okay, let's move on to second base. And I have a couple of options at second base that I personally really like. My favorite player in all of fantasy would probably be Trey Turner. So if if you have the first pick or the top two or three pick and he's available, I would pretty much always recommend taking Trey Turner. He can help you in all five categories. Extremely high batting average. The stolen bases, he'll win you that category himself a lot of weeks. And he's developed into a pretty solid power hitter. I mean, his home run total from last year, 28, was a career high. And you figure maybe 25, 28 again is completely possible. The 77 RBIs were maybe even a little bit lower than what you can expect from him in that Dodger lineup. Even if he's batting one or two, you can figure 80 RBIs minimum, and you're good to go there. A little bit more of a value option would be Ryan McMahon for the Rockies who's not going to blow your socks off or anything like that, but he is, for his ADP, which is hovering around the 200 mark, he's going to be able to give you 20-plus home runs in the 80 RBI area. Not a crazy high batting average, but he is a very valuable player to have, especially playing in Colorado. I love drafted players who play in Colorado just because of the hitter-friendly conditions. Not so much pitchers in Colorado, obviously, but... If there are bats available that you see that are starters in the Rockies lineup, especially later in drafts, I would almost always take a flyer on those kind of players. Connor Joe, McMahons, uh, we'll see where Trevor Story ends up, but probably not the Rockies, but we'll see. 
I would always take the flyer later on on those on those players just because of their ballpark advantage. It's a it's a massive advantage that people some people don't really realize how big of an advantage it is until their players leave Colorado and they see the the drop off in production. Okay, if we want to move on to third base now, I got a couple of value options here. <clears throat> Starting off with another Los Angeles Dodger, be Chris Taylor. And he is one of the most underrated players in the majors. He played in 148 games last year, and he can play just about every single position on the field for you. He ended with 20 home runs, 73 RBIs. He stole 13 bases. He's able to produce in a lot of different areas, and I think in either a head-to-head or a roto format, he is someone who can give you that value throughout the season, and he can help you in not so much in batting average, but everywhere else he's going to be able to help you out. A little bit more of a value option there would be Kevin Biggio, who's coming off an admittedly terrible season. He was not good, injury-plagued year. The thing that strikes me with him has always been his on-base percentage. He's he's someone who draws an incredible amount of walks, and he it does have one of the better eyes in Major League Baseball. His on-base percentage in his first two seasons, 364 and then 375. He dropped down a little bit this year. He's back at the 322 mark. But that was, again, he played less than half the games. Very crowded lineup, and when he was in the lineup, he was usually batting at the bottom. There was just too many bats, too many power bats there for him to really make an impact in the middle of the lineup. The fact that he's a left-handed hitter, I think, benefits him in that lineup because Toronto has been lacking proper left-handed batting forever. And I think if he keeps developing, I mean, last year was a bit of a step back, but if he keeps developing the way that the first two years show that he is able to, then he is someone who's definitely going to be undervalued this year in drafts. I have no doubt about that, that he will be undervalued. Okay. Now we are going to move into shortstop where I have a player here that I'm really aggressively targeting because I feel like he's going to be extremely undervalued in draft season. And that's Francisco Lindor. And now he had definitely Definitely had a down year last year, no doubt. But if you look at every season of his career, it's it's a massive outlier in terms of the home runs were down, the RBIs were down, the steals were down, the average was down considerably. Uh, he's just due to turn it around. He is too talented to not turn it around. And that lineup has been getting stronger and stronger, especially with the additions of Marte, Marcana. They, depending on what they do with Cano, they may have Cano back this year. So there's really a lot of options in that lineup and a lot of talent around him. So I don't really see how he could have another down year in the middle of his prime. I think that was an adjustment year. The New York media definitely didn't help. <sighs> Playing in Cleveland, he was a little under the radar for those years, and he was extremely successful for those years in Cleveland. I still can't believe Cleveland let him go. <sighs> but he is someone who is probably going to get back around the 300 mark. He's going to hit 30 home runs, steal you 20. 15 to 25 bases, he's going to be a valuable player. He is absolutely going to turn it around. He's going to be drafted lower, and he is being drafted lower than last year. Last year, he was going in the first round. This year, his ADP is 49. 49 for a guy who has first-round upside and high first-round upside. He could be a top-five player if things go correct, and things easily could if he has another year like 2018 2019, he could he could easily be a top 10 player. So if he's someone who's slipping into the late 40s, 50s, 60s, I would absolutely take him. 
And if you want to hold off a little bit longer on taking a shortstop, I would, I, I would look at, I'd take a look at Jorge Polanco. I'm not totally sold on him, but he definitely had a breakout year last year. He's still in his prime. He almost knocked in 100 runs, 33 RBIs, and he batted 270, also stealing 11 bags. So he's giving you across-the-board production. He's not going to break the bank. He's going off the board around pick 80, 83. So he's he's not someone you have to ex- spend a huge amount of draft capital on, but he's someone who's going to be able to help you in every single category, assuming he's able to produce to a similar rate that he did last year. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. He played almost every game last year. <sighs> scored 97 runs, 98 RBIs. I I see him as being a pretty valuable asset. I would prefer to take a look at Lindor, especially because you're getting Lindor at a pretty steep discount. But the price that you'd be paying for Polanco isn't something that you're going to have to break the bank over either. So uh, those are the two I'd be targeting with the preference being Lindor. Okay, we are now going to be taking a look at a couple of catchers that I would be targeting this year, starting with Dalton Varsho of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And there's a couple of reasons I like him. He's got some speed, not crazy speed, but he stole six bags last year. And if you're getting any steals out of the catcher slot, you can consider that a win. Even if it's just a couple throughout the year, it'll just be something that kind of augments your other ca- your other players who steal and maybe they have a down week and you can get one or two out of our show and that'll be huge getting them out of the catcher slot he also homered 11 times in 95 games which isn't crazy but I mean his production it's it's decent production there's not a ton of great options behind the dish the ADP starts to fall off after the top two or three you don't really see catchers getting drafted in the top 100 really after outside Sal Perez and a couple others not there's not there's not much for catchers inside that top range but if you if you wait a little bit there are some options Varsho also is intriguing because he has outfield eligibility so he is someone you could plug in at different spots let's say you wanted to go for a Sal Perez or a Real Mudo Will Smith Grandal then you could hypothetically take a second catcher like Varsho just to have on the bench in case of injuries or players getting off days and then you can still stick him in the lineup somewhere other than catcher. He can play the outfield. So having that versatility, especially behind the dish, is massive because catchers don't play every day. You're not going to have a catcher playing more than 130-odd games, maybe 140 if it's a young guy. But even then, you're still going to have to fill in a spot in your lineup 20, 30 times throughout the year. And having a guy like Varsho who can steal, he can give you a bit of power, Bat 245 last year, nothing crazy, but, you know, he's not terrible. He's not going to ruin categories for you. It's someone I would really consider looking at, even if not seriously, just someone to consider, even down the line as a a wire pickup. Well, he's probably going to be drafted. He's probably not going to be available on many wires, depending on the depth of your league. But he is definitely someone I would keep an eye on throughout the year and just take keep an eye on his trajectory, see how he does in that lineup. The second catcher I'm taking a look at is Adley Rutschman, who is probably going to be getting a call-up this year. You figure he's going to be getting called up at some point this year. Maybe not to start the year, but, I mean, if anything, has sh- if he showed us anything in the minors, is that he can definitely carry that power, and he can definitely still hit with a high average like he did in college. So he's someone, and again, it's Baltimore. 
so there's not a ton of competition for playing time. They're going to be looking at development. They're going to want to try and get him a lot of reps behind the plate, a lot of at-bats. And he is a switch hitter, which is great, because they won't have to keep him out of the lineup for lefty-lefty or anything like that. He can hit from both sides of the dish. And he has sky-high potential. And he's not coming off the draft board, really, until around 200. So if you're sitting around around 10, around 11, 12, if you're in later rounds, you're looking that you need a catcher, you didn't draft one, or you're in a two-catcher format, He's someone who's worth taking a shot on, for sure. He is someone who's got a lot of upside. He's still young, 23, 24 years old. So he's going to get as much playing time as he can handle once he gets the call-up. Maybe not right from the start of the season, but he will get a call-up. He'll be on that roster at some point this year. I'm fairly certain of it. And he should produce. I mean, it's, it's tough with rookies. They don't always produce right away, especially in baseball. But, I mean, a catcher... Catchers tend to not have the a long development time once they get to the pros. If they can hit, they can hit. And that's what I'm expecting from Rushman. Rushman definitely has that potential to be a 25-30 home run guy and with 100 RBIs if he can stay healthy. Now, another thing with him is he's probably going to have to play some first base just to save his knees a little bit. So he might end up also having multiple position eligibility as the year goes on. So that would be something, again, I'm just speculating, but that would be something that would be incredibly valuable if that is something that does end up happening. Okay, we've made it through most of the positions. We're going to touch on a couple of outfielders, and then we'll touch on a few pitchers that I'm looking at. So one outfielder that I'm looking to draft this year is Cody Bellinger. And I know people are probably thinking, oh, my God, I don't want anything to do with him after last year. But that's such an outlier. I mean, his numbers were so bad last year. He's now getting drafted still around pick 90 to 100 in that range. But he batted 165 last year. It was just a horrendous year. Considering he's a former MVP, a rookie of the year, it was just an awful season. I'm not really sure exactly what what went wrong, but he stopped stealing. He stopped hitting homers. Didn't drive in many runs. It, he had a better season statistically in the lockout shortened year, playing in 40 less games. So there was something definitely off of him last year, no question. But he is definitely someone I'm still going to be looking at because of the potential. And you got to remember, he's 26 years old. He's still so young. He's got so much talent in that lineup around him. He's going to be a 100 RBI guy, almost guaranteed again in the next couple of years. If not this year, then by next year again. He will certainly have regained his form. He, he's just too good to not turn it around, similar to the Lador situation, what I was talking about with Francisco Lador, is they're just too good to, to stay this bad, right? Now, Bellinger was much worse than Lador last year, but he will turn it around. I am almost, I'm almost 100% certain he will turn it around, and I have complete faith drafting him around pick 100 because I don't think that's asking too much for around the 100th pick for a former MVP only three years removed from being the MVP too. So I'm not too worried about drafting him. Another guy that I'm looking at drafting is someone who's going to be tied to probably for most of his career, Bellinger, and that's Christian Yelich. Because they've gone head-to-head in a couple MVP races and whatnot. Uh, Yelich also had a, a terrible year last year. He had nine home runs, knocked in 51. He batted 248. And it's been, the lockout shortened year wasn't great for him either. So he's looking to really bounce back this year. And I think he's, Definitely capable of doing it. I mean, again, you're talking about a former MVP 
who's gone through some struggles for sure. But he's someone with the upside you got to look at and you got to say, okay, he's going off the board around pick 81. So there's definitely some outfielders that are going to be taken ahead of him. He's going to probably fall through the cracks for a lot of people because they're going to look at a lot of people look at the previous year's numbers when they're drafting and they're going to see, oh, he had nine homers, he knocked in 51. It's not it's not worth my time, right? But, you know, you go back, you look a little bit deeper. His on-base percentage is always high, always high. The steals are a bit down, and maybe the steals do continue to stay down as he turns the corner of 30. But he should still steal more than nine bases. I think that was this last couple of seasons have been an outliers because if you look at the track record before, he had four or five really successful seasons in a row right before that bad stretch. And I fully expect him to turn it around. A guy with his talent, still 29, 30 years old. There's no reason why he should regress this much at this point. The last outfielder we're going to be looking at today is Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers, who was kicked around for a little bit. He's already 28, 29 years old, but he had an incredible rookie year last year. Rookie eligible year. I mean, he'd kicked around a little bit throughout the last couple of years, but he actually played a full season last year, 150 games. He had 31 homers, drove in 90 runs. He stole 16 bags. He only batted 243, but I mean, he was giving you crazy production for someone that was almost certainly a waiver wire pickup for you last year. No one was drafting this guy last year. Knocked in 30 home runs, 16. I think he was kind of screwed a little bit in the rookie of the year voting. Not that he necessarily should have won, but coming fourth, I thought was maybe a little bit low. He did strike out a lot, which is something that will play against him. But with the power speed potential, especially someone not going off the board until very low in drafts, he's someone I would definitely look at, especially if you're coming up late in your drafts and you're looking for for speed. I mean, he's not being drafted until about pick 150. So if you're coming... If you're coming around that range and you're thinking I've missed out on steals, I need to I need to add a little bit of a steel power combo. Then he's someone I would definitely look at. He has that kind of potential to be. And again, that Rangers lineup has been revamped with Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, so there will be more run potential and more RBI potential for him in that lineup. So uh, he's he's a very interesting player to me this year, Adolis Garcia. Okay, we're going to end today talking about a couple of pitchers that I'd be looking at, starting with some starters and then a couple of relievers. So we're going to start off with Zach Gallen, who has literally never had an ERA above three before this last season. And he got rocked around a little bit. His ERA was 4.3. He, he wasn't going deep in ball games. He was still striking people out. He had 139 strikeouts in 121 innings. But he is someone I've seen a lot of people talk about this year. He's expected, he's fully expected to turn it around because he's just always been solid. He's never had a year like this. It looks like a total outlier. And he's not being taken until the 37th. He's the 37th starter going off the board. He's going around pick 127 roughly. And there are 36 starters going ahead of him. So he's not someone – people aren't, people aren't looking at him, right? There's a, the, a couple of experts have been talking about him. But he's going he's gonna to fall under the radar because of what I said before. People will look at the how-did-you-do-last-year stat on Yahoo or ESPN, however you do your fantasy, and they're going to see, oh, shit, he was 430 ERA, four wins, ten losses. He's not going to be taken high. So he's going to be someone – who is almost guaranteed to turn it around just based on everything. If you look at his career stats, the advanced stats, 
the only thing that's a little high for him for his career is his whip. He's he's lets a, a couple too many guys on base. Other than that, you can expect a guy who's going to win 15 games for you most likely. He's going to strike out 200 guys, and he's he's going to definitely definitely embarrass this average draft pick, which is 127. It's, there's no way he should be going off the board that late. It, it was a bad year for sure, and that will scare people away. But he is he is so talented. He is so talented. He throws hard. He strikes out a lot of batters. And strikeouts are a huge thing to look for in fantasy. If you have a pitcher who can strike people out, that is something that you don't ignore. If it, even if you don't really need the strikeouts, you'll take the big dominant guy if you can, whether it be on the waiver wire or in your drafts, because strikeouts lead to more successful pitching. Pitchers who are more strikeout dominant are typically more successful strikeout pitchers and ground ball pitchers are very successful as a whole. But if you have a guy who is capable of striking out more than 10 guys per nine innings, 10, 11 guys per nine innings, then you're looking at someone that you should be drafting, someone that shouldn't be falling to where Zach Allen has been falling this year. And it's, it's ridiculous to me because of one bad year. And I understand it, but he is someone you need to take. He is someone that needs to be drafted this year. Okay, another pitcher I think is going to be worth drafting this year is Lance McCullers Jr. He has established himself as one of the better arms in the American League over these last few years now. He's only ever had the one ERA above four. That was 2017. He was actually an all-star that year, funnily enough. The worst ERA of his career, he was an all-star that year. But this year, he swung off the best ERA he's ever had, a 3-1-6. He's also striking out a ton of guys. Struck out 185 batters over 162 innings. And he's pitching for a team, as much as I hate to say it, they're going to get you wins. So he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to help you in the win category, the ERA category, in the strikeout category. He is definitely someone I am looking to draft this year. He is, surprisingly enough, he's actually going off the board later than Gallon. He's going as the 45th taken pitcher. And they're going... Pretty similar ADP around 125, but he's actually going lower than Gallon. So it just speaks to maybe there are some people that still have Gallon in their sights. But for McCullers to be the 45th pitcher off the board, it just makes you wonder if people know what they're really doing. 125th on average to be off the board is okay. That's not terrible, but the 45th pitcher. It's, there are names I'm looking at above him on this list that I don't trust nearly as much as I would trust him. And especially because of the wins, right? The, the, playing on a successful team is definitely going to help you in that category, obviously. But his team is a perennial playoff favorite, so they're going to win close to 100 games. He's going to win 13, 15 games for you, and he's going to get strikeouts. That's, that's massive. That's massively important. So I would definitely take a hard look at Lance McCullers. One more pitcher we'll talk about, one more starting pitcher we'll talk about is Alec Manoa, who I absolutely love. I think he was dominant last year. And another guy who got a little bit screwed in the Rookie of the Year voting, came eighth in Rookie of the Year voting. I thought he had should have been a finalist. I thought he was good enough to be a finalist. Nine and two record. Granted, it doesn't mean that much when there's uh, a pitching record being talked about because there's a lot of factors at play. But nine wins, only two losses. He struck out 127 guys over 111 innings, which is, you know, it's very serviceable. He's a he came up as 23 year old as a rookie, and 
speaking of someone from Toronto, I did not take the bite on him because of Nate Pearson. And it was actually a start in Houston where Nate Pearson got rocked. And then when they said Manoa was going to be coming up, I said, I'm not taking the, ch- I don't want to even bite. I don't want to take a chance. These guys aren't ready yet. And then Manoa came up and he was dominant. So I kind of, I was too scared last year because of what Nate Pearson did to me. I didn't, I didn't draft Alec Manoa, but Manoa is going to be essential in that Blue Jays starting rotation. He's going to be behind Gosman and he's going to be probably behind Barrios in the pecking order, but he is going to start 30 games for you. He's going to be very successful. Again, a very high powered offensive Toronto team. He is going to be getting a lot of wins. He's going to be striking out a lot of guys and he doesn't give up a lot of base runners. He really does not give up a lot of base runners. His whip last year was 1.04 and he's just very solid in terms of limiting the amount of guys who get on base. So he is someone that is very interesting to me in drafts. He's going off the board around pick 84. So not crazy high, not crazy low. He's someone that definitely a good value pick that you can that you can have solid strikeouts and low whip while getting wins. And you're gonna get that off the board kind of later in the draft. So that's a big one for me. Let's move into a couple of relief pitchers and then we'll wrap it up for today. Now, with closers, for me, I would rather take them earlier on, at least one established closer early on in the draft. So a Josh Hader, a Liam Hendricks, um, maybe even Edwin Diaz, despite not the greatest year last year, Kenley Jansen. um, I'd I'd like to have one guy that I know is going to be able to get saves for me. That's huge because they are a bit fickle. Saves, you can have a guy... And it happened to me a lot last year. Players who got traded midway through the year and lost their job as a closer. And it can happen to anybody. It happened to Craig Kimbrell last year, one of the better closers the game has ever seen. So it's not like these players are safe 100%. But, I mean, you figure Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, those guys are not getting replaced. Those guys, if you take them, you know you're getting 35 between 30 and 40 saves. Anywhere between 30 and 40 saves is fair game for those guys. And that's that's massive. I mean, there are some more value guys as you go down. Uh, you got your like Jordan Romanos, uh, Mark Melanson, Gregory Soto from Detroit. It's also interesting because he's such he's not coming off the board until about pick 220. But there are some very elite options at the top, and then it's a bit of a draw, a bit of a steep drop off. So I would recommend taking a, at least one closer. You probably don't need to take more than one. At least one solid closer in the first five or six rounds of your draft, just so you have that anchored down, the saves anchored down a little bit. It's the same thing I would suggest with a with a base stealer. I would take a base stealer early on in the draft, someone that you can rely on to steal a couple bases for you every week, just so you know that the category is going to be taken care of to some degree. There are categories that are harder to predict, home runs, uh, pitcher wins, what have you. But if you have guys like Liam Hendricks, guys like Josh Hader, and then you know a couple of speed guys, that's huge anchors for your team because those are very hard categories to find on the waiver wire, and they're very hard categories to get consistent value out of, even from your own players. You can have you can have a fantastic closer, and you might have him go a week without getting a save. It does happen. So you want to have the best possible. Um, safety net, if that makes sense. In this situation, you draft high on the board, you draft a high closer, and then you draft 
kind of going off topic with the steals a little bit, but you draft one quick guy and you draft a solid top end closer at the top of your draft. And that'll go a long way towards making your team very well-rounded and balanced. Okay. I think we're going to wrap it up for today. So thank you guys very much for listening to the first demo of the fantasy MLB today podcast for sports ethos. Thank you guys. Take care. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.